What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. I'm Jimmy Himes along with Vince Ferrar. It is time for Vince's Views. That is brought to you by Waters Equipment. And uh, Vince, I was reading a story that came from Athlon about rating the quarterbacks in the SEC. And it should come as no surprise that number one on that list is Alabama, led by the Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young. Now, they weren't rating the quarterbacks per se. They were rating the quarterback room, which conceivably considers your depth, right? So Alabama at number one. Number two is Tennessee. And uh, obviously you got Hendon Hooker, but you also have Joe Milton. And you also have Tavon Jackson. So you've got uh, perhaps three capable quarterbacks there. Jackson certainly unproven. Number three on that list is Arkansas. Then uh, with uh, K.J. Jefferson, number four, Will Rogers at Mississippi State leading that charge. Uh, then at number five uh, is South Carolina. And how about this? Six with Georgia, Stetson Bennett and company. Now they got some, what, five stars mm-hmm. on the bench. And then Kentucky's number seven. I will take Will Levis over Stetson Bennett. Maybe others won't. The NFL certainly likes Will Levis. Would you rate Georgia's quarterback room ahead of Kentucky's, considering even if you think Levis might be better than Bennett, Georgia's backup quarterbacks are pretty talented? Probably so, because it's just it's just a projection in terms of the talent that's there. So I, I probably would. I agree with you. Levis is the better NFL prospect. Everyone wanted to take that job away from Stetson Bennett until until he was raising the trophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the the there's a difference there in in their NFL potential. But I think if you're looking at the totality of the room, even though you got to give the starter the biggest weight of that. I still probably would give Georgia the edge. Oh, by the way, it's not like Stenson Bennett hasn't cashed in on a national championship and proven himself. Yeah, he has. Uh, so number eight is Florida, led by Anthony Richardson. Then number nine is Ole Miss. Jackson Dart, the transfer from USC, most people think will win the job, but he had a battle in the spring. At number 10, Texas A&M. So can A&M, if A&M has the 10th best quarterback in the SEC, can A&M be a top five team or are you going to say hey georgia did it with stetson bennett so how do you see that one 10th best quarterback room if they have the 10th best quarterback in the league they're not achieving what they think they can achieve i don't care about how many five stars they got in this past signing class because not all of them are going to be able to contribute not all of them are going to be difference makers they're hoping that some of them are and i'm guessing with that much talent the numbers tell you, the percentages tell you, some of them probably will be. But they still need a better than 10th best quarterback if they're going to unseat Alabama in the West or end up being the best team to cash in on expectations, which are going to be extremely high for the Aggies this year. And look, I get it. Somebody's out there saying, well, Zach Calzada, he beat uh, Alabama. Okay. Flukes do occur. And that... I would not expect to happen again. I don't think Alabama, I'm sorry, I don't think A&M has the defense, although good, 
It doesn't have the defense that Georgia had. And, in fact, few teams have, which means I think Haynes King or somebody has got to be more productive if A&M wants to reach that level of being a top five. Now, LSU's number 11. And I kind of like LSU's quarterback room Mm -hmm. because not only do I think Miles Brennan, who before he got hurt a couple of years ago, averaged 370 yards a game passing, but they also have Jaden Daniels transferring in from Arizona State. I think either one of those could play at a high level for LSU. Yep. I would put them over Texas A&M. Yes. And I I liked Haynes King. I thought he would be good, but he was another one that looked kind of erratic and looked like he felt the pressure and then obviously got hurt too. So I'm not sure how well he's going to do. And then Johnson coming over from from LSU, I would take Daniels and Brennan over King and Johnson, in my opinion. So I would would definitely have LSU over A&M, but I would probably move LSU up a little bit too. Then I think there's a huge drop-off in the SEC. Auburn is 12, Missouri 13, and Vanderbilt is 14. I don't like the quarterbacks for those teams at all. What do you think? Um, Trying to think who Auburn is going. They have a transfer in, right? Zach Calzada from a Yeah, that's right. Zach Calzada, yeah. And if that's the best of the bunch, they still have – T.J. Finley, or he moved on. T.J. Finley's there. He's a former transfer from LSU. Right. He's already been there a year. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not crazy about that room, honestly, either. So, good running game, but not, yeah, not crazy about who else was, was down there on the... Missouri, and then Brady Cook, apparently, is going to be their quarterback. Yeah. No, and, and I don't think they have great depth. They might have a four-star behind them, but... Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there is a, a drop-off in those teams. LSU's the one that stands out towards the bottom that should be higher up. I agree. And then at 14, Vanderbilt with Ken Seal and Mike Wright. Yeah, and, you know, Seal was was supposed to uh, had a little bit, I guess as a freshman, he flashed and you thought, all right, maybe he can build off of, off of that freshman year. Maybe he's better the next year but then lost the job to to uh you know right last year so yeah that that's that's not a strong room no that's uh i think i think those three teams are bad at quarterback uh they may prove me wrong but i don't i don't like them at all and because of that quarterback position jimmy that and all of everything that happened with harson in the offseason too i i don't get some of the Auburn being as highly ranked and projected in the SEC this year as I see some people uh, putting them in. I, I I don't get them. I, I think some people, and it's not everybody, but some look at Auburn like they're some top 15 team. And top 15, I, Auburn? Yeah. Like mm. as, as, a, as a sleeper in the West, and I, I don't see that. They could finish 15th in the West. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't either. I don't think Auburn's a top 25 team. Yeah. I don't even think they sniff it. I think Tank Bigsby's a really good back. Defensively, I think they're okay. Receiver-wise, I think they're okay. Quarterback-wise, I think they're below average. I don't think they're very good. I, I think they're a 500 team, probably at best. I don't think they have the horses on the D-line that they used to. Nope. Because that, that used to erase some of their other issues because they were really good on that D line yeah. and they, they don't have, I don't think they have those dudes that we've seen yet 
that can erase some of the other flaws they have on their team. So that and quarterback, two biggest positions, and it, you're not you're not great at either one of them. And the big X factor to me in the SEC is this Anthony Richardson. I mean, it he's got a ton of ability. He threw a lot of interceptions. His intercepted to touchdown ratio wasn't good. He broke off some 80-yard runs against weak opponents. Uh, he came in against LSU and made a couple of really bad throws. Uh, I just I don't know what to think of that guy. I don't know if Billy Napier can straighten him out and he can all of a sudden blossom. Uh, he's tremendously talented, but yeah, yeah, he's really good at running the football against weaker opponents. But I'm I'm just not sold on this guy. I didn't like his decision making. I love his athletic ability, but mm-hmm. I didn't like his decision making. And but if all of a sudden it clicks in, I mean, the guy's got a world of talent. I, to me, Florida at quarterback is one of the bigger X factors in the SEC. Yeah, and I, I think that they're going to have to play different. I don't think they can just try to make him a pocket quarterback that occasionally gets out of the pocket and have that be your plan. I think if you have that kind of special talent, yes, he's got to be able to make plays from the pocket. But in college football, you can play a different way. It's not the NFL where you you have to be able to make throws from the pocket. So I would utilize the skills and I would adapt the offense to him and um and and roll with it. Now, tough thing is is that what if he goes down? Or what if he doesn't play well? What 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 happens after that? Are you much different with your backup quarterback to where you got to totally change? But this is a test in Billy Napier in him adapting to his personnel versus forcing personnel to adapt to a system. Here's what I see happening. If Richardson gets hurt early, then Napier's going to say, you know what, that guy was on his way to winning the Heisman Trophy. He's the greatest quarterback ever. We could have won nine or ten games with him <laughs> if he gets hurt. That's what happens, right? I think another letter goes out to the fan base if he gets hurt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. We would have won a lot of games if Anthony Richardson hadn't been hurt. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and I don't see Florida being that good. Now, but here's the thing about Richardson. He could all of a sudden have one of those – a terrific game, and you're like, oh, okay, he's finally arrived, and in the next game he throws four interceptions. I, I'm just – I'm not sold on him yet. But uh, we'll we'll see if he can – here's the other thing, too, with Will Levis. A, a lot of the really good numbers he put up last year early in the season were against bad opponents. And then as the season went on, he had a couple of games where he didn't throw for 100 yards. Right. And then against Tennessee, he was brilliant. Now, does that say something about Tennessee's lack of defense? Maybe because the Purdue quarterback looked pretty good too against Tennessee's defense. But uh, Levis is a guy with a big arm. He can run. He's strong. uh, And he also had a pretty good offensive coordinator. And that guy's not there anymore. Liam Cohen is now back in the NFL. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see. That may be one of the coaching changes that could have a really huge impact on the quarterback is that one. And they went back to the NFL with uh, their their new offensive coordinator. So they it worked with um, with last year with Liam Cohen, but now they went back to those ranks, try to duplicate it with Rich uh, Scangarello, who I believe also came from the Rams. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that one plays out. All right, when we come back, we will have more. If you want to join us, 656-9900, 1-866-656-9900. We've got a little bit more news about uh, about expansion, uh, realignment. We've also got some news about Tennessee baseball and some folks that are in the transfer portal. It is Vince's Views brought to you by Waters Equipment. It's Vince's Views brought to you by Waters Equipment. 
Uh, Vince, there is some uh, news about Tennessee baseball. There are several Tennessee baseball players in the transfer portal, but uh, none have uh, none saw a lot of action toward last year's team that did reach a, a number one ranking for most of the season. Yeah, and John had mentioned last week that 24-7 sports had only, they had a, a list, a comparison of all the SEC teams, and Tennessee had the fewest in the transfer portal according to their listing. Uh, they only had one for Tennessee, and the next closest was Kentucky with three. But looking at the D1 baseball transfer portal, Kendall Rogers, their staff, uh, do an awesome job. So I was looking through there. They updated it last night, and Tennessee actually had four players listed there, whereas Kentucky still had three. So technically, Tennessee has the second fewest in the transfer portal right now. And like you mentioned, none of them got much playing time. The players that were listed in the D1 baseball transfer portal are freshman right-hander Grant Cherry. Last year had five appearances, no record, 5.40 earn run average. Just worked three and a third innings. His big thing is guys didn't hit him, but he walked nine guys with five strikeouts. So the the control was tough for him. Good stuff. I, I think they liked him, gave him some opportunities, but uh, just a, a little bit erratic in his opportunity. So he's in the transfer portal. Another freshman and left-hander in J.D. McCracken, he had five, uh, three appearances a year ago, 1-0, 8.10 earned run average. Uh he was the reverse. One walk, two strikeouts, and three and a third, but uh, gave up some hits. He um, was a freshman that Tony Vitello wanted to give him the decision, hey, since we're so far into the year, uh, do, you, do you want to redshirt, sit it out? And he said, no, I want to I want to play. And he did. His first outing was really difficult, and then he bounced back after that and got a win. Uh, so those are the two guys that have played for Tennessee that are in the transfer portal, again, according to D1 Baseball. Another one is freshman catcher Nathan Smith. He did not play last year. Not sure how much he factored into the future at that catching position. He was a top 300 player, 250, 300, 350, depending on on your different recruiting service. And then the other one is maybe the most intriguing of the, the group is freshman outfielder who he can play the infield, he can pitch. He's, uh, he has played mostly outfield uh, in, uh, at Walter State, and that's Cruz Newman. He was, I want to say, the fifth or sixth highest rated in Tony Vitello's 2021 class. Again, all these are, are freshmen from that class. And he did not play for Tennessee because he was at Walter State and did really well for Walter State. He's on that same team that Colby Backus, who committed a Tennessee power-hitting outfielder, part of that nation's leader in home runs. He had 13 of them in, in I want to say, 47 appearances, hit 348. So he's a guy with talent in perfect game when they list the the projection of him. They list him as a potential high draft pick when he was coming out of high school. A uh, kid from, I think he was from the, the state of Kentucky. So those were the five. I don't know the reason why he ended up at Walters State or if that's something that you know he, he wants to move on from Tennessee, but he was kind of the interesting one where he's kind of not been here, but he's still listed in the transfer portal. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But those were... Uh, the four that were were listed there in D1 Baseball's transfer portal for 
Tennessee. And more of them coming in, Jimmy, just to review the guys that they have coming in. Uh, we mentioned Colby Backus, uh, who will come in from Walter State. Uh, certainly there's uh, there's Ben Joyce's is, uh, yeah, his twin brother that's coming in as well as a pitcher for Tennessee. He's a former signee for the Volunteers. Uh, then last week, they got a commit from Austin P. catcher Jack Alexander. And then, of course, Maui Auna from Kansas, playing for Team USA, by the way. And he's one was regarded as one of the top Big 12 prospects, Major League Baseball draft prospects in the Big 12 from Kansas. And then, most recently, they added Zane Denton, who was a third baseman at Alabama. So, you're addressing third base, shortstop, catcher, outfield. No guarantee that all those all or those guys are going to start. I bet a couple of them do at least. Backus to me, I think I mentioned this reminds me of Jordan Beck. Not only has power, he's a big physical guy, six five, two thirty five, has hair flailing out of the back of his baseball cap like Jordan Beck, and and plays right field, big arm, power hitting right hander, hit four ten. At Walter State with 13 home runs and 56 runs driven in in 47 games, 1.228 OPS, so hits for, for power. I think will fit right in and has a great chance to start for Tennessee. We'll see on, on Alexander. I know they're still in on the Air Force catcher slash pitcher, real tall uh, player, Paul Skinas, and uh, who also, I believe, is is playing for Team USA. And then, um, and then Zane Denton, I think, will have a great chance if Trey Lipscomb does get drafted high and, and decide to move on from Tennessee to uh, to be Tennessee's third baseman. But there'll be some other options, I think, with guys to move around. And Maui Auna, I think, even if Courtland Lawson's here, he is such a talent that he may be your guy there. Now, could they move him to... Another position, perhaps. I think Cortland Lawson, such a big kid. They may, maybe if he was decide was to decide to come back, maybe he would be an option at third base for you. I think you'd have all kinds of position versatility for either one of those guys. But my point is, I think Ouna is in the starting lineup next year. But more likely than not, that's not something that they'll have to work out. I imagine that that Cortland Lawson might have a good enough pro opportunity to may he he may decide to go. We'll see. And then, you know, Ortega uh, is another guy decision based on on where he might get drafted. But it's a good chance he'll be back. And I think Seth Stevenson will come back to Tennessee as well. So it's it's interesting. There's newcomers coming in. And then also Seth Halverson. Remember, he wasn't a, a part of this year's team because he was hurt. And then there's one other name to keep in mind, and that's Kavaris Tears. He was pretty well thought of outfielder, first baseman. I remember talking to Josh Elander about him before the season started. You didn't get any playing time. They had plenty of depth in the outfield, but guys with, with plenty of experience. But I, I do think they liked him. We'll see. I don't know what maybe if anything changed during the season, but he's a guy with some ability that maybe will get a bigger role next year, maybe could factor into some uh, competition for playing time as well that you didn't see uh, a year ago for the Vols. And what are you hearing about uh, Brady House? He was a Tennessee signee a year ago that was taken in the first round. Yeah, he is listed uh, at minor league baseball. I guess it's part of the MLB.com network, but uh, they did a top 100 prospect list, and Brady House listed at 53. Uh, he was a first-round draft pick of the Washington Nationals. He was Tennessee's highest-rated 2021 class signee, and 
going that high in the in the draft certainly uh, you're you're going to you're going to pass on the uh on college uh, baseball oftentimes but uh, he's he's been in single a of Fredericksburg hasn't really hit for extra bases in power like his body would tell you uh, that he would and like he is projected to so still making some adjustments in his first year but ranked 53 in terms of top 100 prospects in the in the latest ranking and I, I think he'll be fine long term but he was the one vol or at least vol sign former vol or vol signee uh, that uh, was on that list of top 100 prospects that I thought was interesting I'm Jimmy Himes along with Vince Farrar and uh, we're pleased to be joined by a special guest, Mr. College Football. Uh, he is a columnist with the TMGCollegeSports.com, uh, does a terrific job, and he's been a longtime friend. We happened to just see him at the SEC Spring Meetings recently, and that's Tony Barnhart. Tony, how are you? Jimmy, I'm doing well. I hope you had a good four. Yes, sir. I hope you did as well. So what was your reaction to USC and UCLA headed to the Big Ten? Oh, it's it's on. It's on. <laughs> all the years, Jimmy, that you, all the years that you and I have been talking about mega conferences and when was it going to happen? You know, the, the the SEC taking on Texas and Oklahoma, that still had a regional feel to it. It was mm-hmm. the southern southwest part of the United States. This this is there is no pretense here. This is a national conference that's going to play uh, on a national stage, and uh, I was totally shocked by. It. I had no idea this was coming. So do you think the SEC reacts and looks to expand, or do you think the SEC will stand pat? I think they'll stand pat unless, unless the Big Ten decides to keep going. If, let's, say, let's say the Big Ten gets Notre Dame. Well, the SEC is going to have to react to that. But right now, the SEC, what the SEC has, there's really no reason to make any more moves unless the Big Ten makes a big move. Tony, what's bizarre about this, and Jimmy and I talked about it a little bit yesterday, curious how how you view it, is that USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten, which I guess was similar to what happened with the SEC with Texas and and Oklahoma, when the schools are initiating that, but now we expect a domino Mm -hmm. effect. How do you you translate that and and look into that? Because... The way I translated it is that USC and UCLA looked at their future, and they saw a future at uh, the Big Ten where they could pay get paid almost a hundred million dollars a year at some point uh, in the life of the contract, and they're sitting here uh, in the Pac-12 with the most uncertain future financially, with the most uncertain future. And I think they they understood. I, th- I think UCLA's had some serious issues uh, financially in their athletic department. So I think ultimately that that's what it came down to is you want stability and that that's what USC and UCLA could find in the uh, big 10. And what do you expect Notre Dame to do? Because it sounds like everyone's kind of waiting for them next. That, that is the next domino to fall. What does Notre Dame decide to do? You know, in the past, Notre Dame has always been able to look at the revenue they generated and it made sense to stay an independent but the kind of money we're talking about coming coming from the Big Ten, it may it may be that uh, you know Notre Dame doesn't want to give up its independence, but they've got tremendous leverage right now. And uh, Jack Swarbrick is the athletic director is a really smart guy, and it could be that this it's it, it, the time has come for Notre Dame, and because these are the circumstances that have been created. 
Tony's Notre Dame decision dependent on what kind of a deal he can strike with NBC. I think if NBC is going to, wants to be in Notre Dame's future, they're going to have to step up to the plate because I think ESPN is prepared uh, to make them a very, very nice deal. A combination of you know ESPN and Fox, uh, which is controlling the uh, the Big Ten. So I, I think I think NBC, if, one, if they want to keep Notre Dame home football games, they're going to have to step up to the plate mm-hmm. big time. So I've, I've read a lot of stuff, and I want to run this one by you. There's some talk about maybe the Pac-12 and the ACC reaching an agreement to play some type of a championship game in Las Vegas. What do you make of that? Uh, a very, as it was described in the story, a very loose alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, they better be careful how they use that word. That has not turned out very well for them. <laughs> Uh, and what it, what, it, what it does more than anything is it'll strengthen numbers. If you create this sort of mega conference and, and let each side play, you know, the, the ACC champ and the Pac-12 champ, which their champions would play each other for a conference championship and probably a spot in the playoffs, it's just, it's just a way to organize yourself to try to protect uh, against poaching. Uh, I, don't, I don't really see that happening because I think we're talking about 26 teams, if they were to do that, and that seems a bit much to me. Does it make sense that the Pac-12 is allegedly negotiating a new media rights deal when they don't even know who the membership's going to be? <laughs> Those will be very interesting negotiations. So, Because if I'm sitting there uh, on the television side of that thing, you're asking me for this kind of money, but what are you going to what, what – what am I buying? What, you know, who, who is going to be in this conference? You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen to Oregon and Washington. You don't know what's going to happen to Arizona and Arizona State and uh, Utah and Colorado, who reportedly are talking to the seriously talking to the Big Twelve about joining there. So yeah, that, that it doesn't seem to be Jimmy the prime time for negotiations. Tony, does this change anything? Your opinion as to when Texas and Oklahoma will join the SEC, whether it will be earlier than previously agreed to? Well, I think the key to that is what, what the Big 12 does. If the Big 12 goes out tomorrow or the next day and goes and plucks four teams out of the uh, Pac-12, uh, then, then, then I think they're probably done. And they said, you know what, let's come up with a number and, and get you guys out of here. There's no, there's no point in us being a 16-team conference and having you guys in it. So I think in that respect, if, if, if the Big 12 makes a huge move and brings in four more teams, I do think it accelerates how quick uh, the OU and Texas can get in. And in, in terms of the ACC with their grant of rights, how big of a hang-up do you think that would be for anyone trying to pluck any of those schools from that conference? Depends on who you talk to. You talk to some people that said, well, you know, contracts are made to be broken. There's all kinds of things that can happen. What if the ACC falls apart? If the ACC falls apart, then it's going to be every person for themselves. But I, I talked to some other people who say that that grant of rights deal is airtight and they, they drew it up that way. Uh, because remember, the grant of rights thing happened when Maryland suddenly left and went to the Big Ten. And when they put that deal together, all the presidents agreed that they wanted the security from getting poached. And uh, so it depends on who you talk to about when it comes to the grant of rights. 
Tony, how soon do you think the SEC might announce its scheduling format, whether they go to the 6-3 format or the 7-1? And by the way, I think it's going to be 6-3 because I think that's what Greg Sankey wants. But when do you think they might announce that? Well, the, the question is how much do they have to know before they make this final decision? For example, do you need to know how big the college football playoff is going to be, that it's going to be 12 teams? If you know there's going to be 12 teams, then I think you could feel more comfortable about going to nine conference games, uh, going to the six, the six three model, three six model. Uh, but I think the question is, how much do you need to know? Can they announce it now? Because you're you're talking about a, about another year in advance. So would they make an announcement like that at SEC media days? They don't usually do that kind of thing. So you know, we'll see. Do you think the college football playoff will be expanded to twelve eventually? I do, I do, because that—that's what makes—that's what makes the most sense to get more more teams involved, uh, and that's what the that's what the SEC wants. That's what Greg Sankey wants, and I think it, it's going to going to do very very well. Uh, eight. The other thing, the other variable though, Jimmy, is what I would say is this: one of the reasons the, the SEC wanted twelve teams is is because they thought an eighteen model. Would have nothing. Would have automatic qualifiers. Yep. I think with these changes, I think automatic. The idea of automatic qualifiers completely goes away because there's no way the Pac-12 is getting a, a spot in the college football playoff just because they won the Pac-12. And so, uh, I think when all is said and done, they'll end up at 12. One more quick question: Do you think USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten changes the opinion of the Big Ten about the college football playoff going to 12? Are they more open to that now? I would certainly think they would be because now they, they've got a chance just like the SEC to get in two, three, four teams. So yeah. I, I think it would change their mind about that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Tony, great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you down in Atlanta. Thanks, Tony. Okay, guys. Take care. Appreciate it. Uh, that is Tony Barnhart. He is a columnist with TMGCollegeSports.com. Mr. College Football does a great job covering SEC and college football as well. So we appreciate him joining us. Come Jimmy Himes along with Vince Ferrar. It is Vince's Views brought to you by Waters Equipment. And Vince, we had um, a poll out yesterday on our website about uh, players that might uh, be ready to explode at Tennessee. What does it look like? Yeah, it's still up there. It's a kind of a breakout. Who's going to have a breakout season for the Vols this year? Still Jalen Hyatt out in front, 44%. And Byron Young is second at 19%, followed by uh, it, it's actually uh, the other guys have fallen a little bit farther behind. Jalen Wright at 10%, Brew McCoy 8%, uh, uh, tied with Tyler Barron at 8% who has come up, then Justin Williams 7%, and then any uh, another player not listed at 3%. So you can vote at 991thesportsanimal.com. That poll question will stay up for a little bit, maybe until close to media days. So you can scroll down to the bottom right. That's where we keep our poll question on that front page. And speaking of Media Days, we have a Media Days central page. It's already up there. Tells you about our coverage. Tells you how you can subscribe to that podcast feed. Everything from Media Days, main room, electronic room, Jimmy's one-on-one interviews, any in-show interviews from Media Days, any of the other interviews that guys that, that our shows are doing that aren't there about media days, they will all go onto that feed. It is the place to find content from media days. 
All of that, plus all our videos from Media Days, all that is on our central page. Uh, you can get it at 991thesportsanimal.com. You'll see it at front and center. You can go to the Vols tab as well. And support our sponsors. We have nine great sponsors that are helping make our trip down to Media Days in Atlanta possible. So check them out. Support them. Click on the link to their website and uh, and thank them for, for helping make this possible. So all that is on our website. And then follow us on social media. Sports Animal 991 is our Twitter handle. It's also where you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, we'll have a ton of social media coverage and posts from Atlanta at Media Days is coming up starting uh, July 18th until Tennessee goes last day on the 21st. Before the SEC spring meetings, we had some fireworks between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Now, they quell that a little bit in Destin, Mm -hmm. but that was in the tranquility of a beach. Now we're going to Atlanta, and I just wonder, there's always something that pops up that becomes really newsworthy. Is Saban going to say something that infuriates Fisher? Is Fisher going to fire back? Who knows? I'm sure that they have been encouraged to put it behind them. Also, it was a year ago covering the SEC football media days when news broke of Oklahoma and Texas joining the league. So there's always something that goes on that's going to be interesting at the football media days. Yeah, and look, Jimmy, been there, done that. You know from from being in Destin, every year there's news from Destin – Arguably more newsworthy things, notes come out of Destin, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that miss that. There's yeah. a lot of reporters that are there. They're going to be asking questions that didn't see a lot of that stuff or right. didn't pay attention to it. They're going to try to go there. Yeah. So no doubt about it, with all the rooms and repetitions, maybe Saban maybe he snaps back at someone because he's sick of being asked about yeah. it because they tried to address it. Oh, by the way, Greg Sankey doesn't want him to say anything. So we'll see how long that lasts. But you know people, reporters, are going to go there with those guys. Nick, can I see the letter of reprimand you got (laughs) from Sankey? And Kiffin, too. People are going to try to reel him back in because they're like, he's the most likely to say something that he shouldn't. So let me be the guy to do it. You know that stuff is going to happen there. Lane, is that a golf ball in your pocket? (laughs) You never know. Should be a lot of fun. Vince, that's Vince's Views, brought to you by Waters Equipment. Appreciate it. What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real, because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count.